0: Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, NACIO Executive Director Doug Robinson shares details of the group's annual survey of state CIOs.
1: You know, the old joke is really around state government is still in the post and pray mode, right? And I think they're posting jobs and they're praying that somebody is going to accept that, but they can't do that if the title is Data Processing Specialist 3,
0: which means nothing. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. I'm Benjamin Freed. Jake Williams is off today. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. Here's what's happening this week. State IT leaders gathered this week in Louisville, Kentucky for the National Association of State Chief Information Officers Annual Conference. In addition to NASIO's annual member survey, which you'll hear more about later in the show, the conference featured robust discussions about the future of government workforces, the challenges of building whole-of-state cyber strategies, and what vendors do to get on CIO's bad sides. NASIO also handed out its annual awards for notable state technology projects and officials who have made innovative breakthroughs over the past year. Longtime North Dakota CIO, Sean Riley, plans to step down later this year to become CEO of a cryptocurrency mining company called BitZero International. During Riley's six years as CIO, North Dakota stood out as a small state making big strides in IT and cyber governance. During his tenure, North Dakota became the first state to take charge of cybersecurity for the entirety of its public sector, from the statehouse down to local school districts. Riley's new company, BitZero, is backed in part by Shark Tank co-host Kevin O'Leary. It's also involved in advanced battery technology. Finally, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is moving forward with the National Accuracy Clearinghouse, an interstate data system to identify individuals receiving duplicate supplemental nutrition assistance program benefits. The USDA says the system will improve program efficacy and save $463 million over five years, while also creating safeguards that prevent SNAP recipients from having their benefits mistakenly taken away. States have until October 2027 to update their data collection processes, but already there are concerns about whether they'll reach compliance with the new rules by then. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. NASIO's annual member survey, released this week at the group's conference in Louisville, found that while CIOs are essential as ever to state government operations, IT leaders are increasingly concerned about the future of their workforces. It's a trend fueled by ongoing interest in hybrid schedules and telework, rising turnover across the public sector, and an open question about whether government service can be made appealing to members of Generation Z entering the job market. In a wide-ranging survey that included CIOs' thoughts on modernization, digital services, data privacy, broadband, and government business models, the workforce concerns were evident across the board, says NASIO Executive Director Doug Robinson. Between competition from the private sector, government's lengthy hiring processes, and a legacy of unappealing, wonky job titles like Data Processing Specialist 3, CIOs see many challenges ahead. But the Nasio survey also found that the elevated profiles CIOs saw during the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic are likely here for the long haul. And as 39 states hold gubernatorial elections next month, Robinson says he's looking forward to his conversations with new administrations about the critical business role that IT leadership plays. Let's go to my interview with Doug Robinson. There there are as many concerns as ever about recruitment and retention and uh, just the just the uh longevity of, of the state it workforce what, what did you find in this in uh in this year's survey
1: uh yes thank you ben good good good, good question well as it, i think uh as is reflected in the the title of this year's report which is the people imperative i think that was a thread that we saw throughout so many of the individual Topics we you know we surveyed on ten individual topics therefore we we've got ten different chapters on the high priority uh, issues and opportunities for the state CIO and what we found through both uh, many of those topics as well as uh, the open ended uh, responses is that uh, workforce issues people issues talent management issues were all kind of embedded in uh, in all of those and so when we you know we ask open ended questions. Uh, we got dozens and dozens of responses, and some of those open ended. And it was interesting to us is that people, the people imperative, was so, uh, is so, so, so big part of that. So I think. Uh, you know we've looked at that uh, over nasio's looked at that uh, back in start all going all the way back to 2007 we did our first national study on the it workforce and we've done one every 5 years uh we've kind of looked back and assess the the workforce but i think this in this particular annual survey of our state cios uh, that was definitely a theme that uh it came out through through almost every single topic was uh, the need for uh reskilling uh current employees to to meet the the you know the modern environment and the changing operating model of the CIO uh, organization and we can certainly talk more about that but just i would say modernization just across the board modernization and things like job titles and classifications uh modernizing the view so to speak of uh flexible work schedules and remote work options that now have become you know the the, the state Employee, IT employees, they may have been a, accustomed to that. Uh, so that's a, you know some of the common things we we heard is that we need to be more modern, like the marketplace, because we're having uh, significant uh, challenges. And we've also seen, not in this survey, but other reports that are related, uh, substantial reductions in just candidates. Some states have reported uh, fifty to sixty percent less applicants. Mm-hmm. For job positions uh, in in state government, I think because they just have you know more options now in the marketplace with uh, better
0: compensation. A lot of these issues have been have been building for a while, and now it's obviously, as you said, the kind of the you know the the, the title of, of of this year's survey. Um, when it comes to you know, as, as you mentioned, the the you know the number of applicants shrinking, um, what is uh, what is driving that down?
1: well i mean i think compensation is probably the single you know uh it, it kind of artifact that that is doing that but also uh again this the the lack of understanding of the the importance of these public sector jobs and so i think you you have to have a uh, a public sector regardedness, so to speak you want to be able to serve the public you want to be able to give back and uh that's can be a challenge uh you may have that in your uh, in your in your personality but that you know, look at the the, uh, the salary and you say I can't do that part of it as you look at the competition in the marketplace uh now you have organizations that would not have been competing against a state government organization uh because of the these hourly salaries have gone up so much and so now you have a real you know option in kind of the, the marketplace so I I just think it part of it is a there is a general stereotype about state organizations that, uh, you know, they are not modern, they're not flexible, they're not adaptable, you know, flexibility in state government is is an oxymoron. You're not going to see those in the same sentence, right? And I think that's the general perspective. And, and in some cases, that may clearly be true. Part of it uh, is the frustration around things like the hiring, uh, time, time to hire. So, you know, states want to streamline the hiring process, but reducing the time to hire is another thing that they could do. Because in some cases uh, we've heard from our CIOs that it can take literally weeks or months to hire a senior, to hire a deputy, to hire a uh, you know a, a, a higher level IT executive within their organization, and that's just not the practice. So I think there's a combination of a number of things, and one of the things I think states are going to clearly have to address in the future is are they willing to increase the remote work options and the remote work flexibility to meet the demands particularly in the IT space and most importantly in cybersecurity you know the information security professionals are still in a in a negative unemployment situation we have states where between the public and private sector They've got tens of thousands of open positions in
0: cybersecurity. I'm wondering how much of this is uh, generational. Uh, millennials, myself, you know, like myself, we're hitting are hitting the prime of their careers. More Gen Z people are entering the workforce every day. Um, in the conversations with the CIOs, did did you find any you know new or different thinking on how to recruit younger talent to make you know state state service more appealing to to members of those groups?
1: Yes. I mean, we heard a lot of comments about that. I mean, they're generally around some of the topics that I, they talked about is that the, the, the CIOs have said, and, and there's plenty of pull quotes in our report, which reflect the, the you know, the personal observations of of state CIOs, uh, that, you know, states need to be more flexible about, you know, the workforce. They've got to look at uh, you know, offering more remote opportunities. They gotta they, they they really need to consider the the possibility of hiring out of state employees, you know, the kind of the borderless hiring. States have been reluctant to do that, but some states uh, will permit that. Uh and so I think that's uh that's important. The other the other is the uh, back to your point, I mean the, the 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 kind of the some of the Gen Z generation, they do want they have they do want to serve the public, they want to give back in in terms of the public sector, but they not they're not going to do that. They're not coming in for a for a pension. They're not coming in for a long term. So you know, state government has to be comfortable with the three to four year uh, process of cycling in and cycling out, and the government process and, the, and the, the government practices are not based on that type of flexible and accelerated uh, accelerated change. So I think they have to kind of rethink, rethink how they're recruiting. You know, the old joke is really around state government is still in the post and pray mode, mm-hmm. right? And I think they, they're posting jobs and they're praying that somebody is going to accept that, but they can't do that if the title is data processing specialist three, which means nothing uh, to candidates in the, in the field. Uh, And so, you know, modernizing the job titles, embracing some of the things I think that what the states can do, uh, which is reflective of what folks in the marketplace want candidates is they can create a more diverse workforce. And so there's a big emphasis on uh, DEI um, and uh, just inclusion in the in, in the workforce. So that's something we highlight is that's something that state CIOs can do. And we also have seen obviously more. Uh, more retirements uh pre- predominantly because of covid-19 impact folks have made the decision well I can retire we've he- we've heard these warning uh in the past about the tsunami of you know the silver tsunami and yeah. everything else but in fact that has not been these massive retirements have not taken place but I think we're about to see that uh in the next in the next couple of years because of people's making the people making those uh, those decisions and and the and there's you know, less you look at the state and local government, particularly post-COVID, there's actually less state employees. So the state employee ranks, and, and particularly in, in the public sector, state and local, those numbers have been going down. They're flatter
0: going down. And so we we have less uh, less folks in those uh, those positions. There's still a lot of money on the table from the American Rescue Plan last year. Last year. Uh, I know there's also a lot in this survey, again, about... Um, the 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 legacy of things like like the CARES Act as those funds funds you know kind of you know hit maturity what 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 are the, what's the thinking of, around that funding and uh funds still playing a, a major role in uh state's IT planning
1: uh you know certainly on the uh the the ARPA money uh there is you know it, I think there's you know kind of fierce competition at the state level for those dollars uh, some state CIOs and IT organizations have been successful uh, in getting that particularly for uh, general infrastructure, kind of Im- improvements which they need to do and and uh, and the modernization. So uh, you know, the majority of the of the CIOs have indicated that they've received some funding from um, from one of the those programs, I think predominantly cares. Uh, but you got to remember too, that they received, they, in some cases, they're receiving those dollars indirectly because of the chargeback model. And, you know, the majority of the state CR organizations, overwhelming majority have a, a chargeback model. They're actually a fee for service organization. And so they are delivering it services to agencies. The agencies may have received those care funding. So they are indirectly through the pass through those dollars are coming to, uh, to, to the state CIO deliver services, so they're not getting it from a from a capital investment model, which a lot of them wanted to do. But some of them have been able to to do that to modernize their environment. Uh, there's no doubt that broadband has been the the major. The states have been the major beneficiaries around um, about broadband. Uh, with the you know, minimum, we got 65 billion alone coming out of the of the Infrastructure Act, and then FCC and and, and uh, Department of Agriculture have both been putting. Um, hundreds of millions in broadband, so that's an area that uh, that we're seeing, you know, some serious investments in. Yeah. Uh, I I think that you know the states that have used federal funds, uh, many of them are focused on on security enhancements. Mm-hmm. You know, focused on you know doing the enterprise security pieces, and then uh, we can certainly talk about the state and local cybersecurity grant program.
0: We're speaking only a couple of weeks after uh, we finally saw the uh the documents uh and the no, and the notice of funding opportunity on it after mm-hmm. months and months and months of, of of waiting. What what's been the response in the in the CIO community to uh to what we've seen uh from this program? Well I mean clearly
1: the, the response has been um I guess both uh gratitude and relief and also uh some need for a lot of clarification around the actual process, the application process and logistics. So it's kind of a, it's kind of in a mixed situation because there's so many things that have to be, that have to be resolved. But we did ask, uh, you know, we did ask our CIOs, ask our members, and this, the, of course, the, 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 this data was collected before the, the mid-September release of of the NOFA of the guidance uh, coming out of CISA. So this was in, this was basically their, uh, forecast. We asked them what what did they plan on on doing? Uh and there's some some combinations. And this is before we're going to get some we got some clarification with the, the frequently asked questions about what state CIOs or what states can do uh, with the money. But I think most the you know 40% I think or so said they're going to use a combination of shared services and then and then pass through grant money. So the, the people familiar with this program, uh 80% of the dollars that go to the states uh, must be uh, directed to local governments. So the state is essentially sitting on only 20% of those funds. So if you kind of look at a mid-sized state, they might get $4, uh 5000000 million, 80% of that for, for this particular round. Yeah, round one, which is year one uh, of the four-year billion-dollar program, uh, they have to, for 80% of that has to go to, the, to local governments. Now, the question on the table for all the states is, does that necessarily need to be what would be called subrecipient meaning that they they have an application process, or can the states provide uh, shared services in lieu of that in some instances where it makes sense? So, so that's what the CIOs are really advocating for that. And so that you can see that reflective of that. But of course, 35% of our CIOs, uh, and when they responded, they didn't know. So there was basically, it was unknown what approach they were going to take. Um, some of them uh, are, are not prepared to provide. A small number of them said, we're just going to basically pass through 100% of the funding to local governments through some application process. I think most state CIOs in my conversation since then, uh, the majority of them would like to have a mix and would like to have the opportunity uh, to deliver shared services where it makes sense. And in some cases, it does make sense or to collaborate You know, when a multi-state collaboration where it makes sense and so there's some good use cases uh where you have a more uh if you look at the the requirements and the objectives in in the guidance that came out of the language of the of the bill there's certain things that they want local governments to do particularly around cyber hygiene and multi-factor
0: yeah so programs. a lot of ideas but also still a lot of questions that need to be answered
1: yeah a lot of, a lot of questions on implementation so the states have you know have they have. They have a notice of intent they're, the NOI notice of intent is through mid November, meaning they intend to apply and then how they're going to do that. Then they have a, a year to work on their, on their plan. So NASIO has been, you know, we've got, we've got materials out on that. There's lots of frequently asked questions from CISA. Uh, we just dropped a podcast uh, this week, uh, our, uh, earlier this week on the uh, few minutes on the Q and a on the grant from our, my colleague, Alex, yeah. Whitaker, director of government affairs. So there's lots of materials that will come out and more, I think, as they work through the clarifications on what uh, some of these things mean to the the local governments and to the, and to the States, because the States uh, have, the States have to make the match. And mm-hmm. so they have more skin in the game in terms of the, the overall plan.
0: So I want to close out by talking about the changing roles of, of CIOs, which is you know something I think has come up a lot in the last couple of years. Um, you know, uh, we've talked in the past about how CIOs profiles really, really rose during the pandemic and uh, whether that's still, you know, whether you're seeing signs of that lasting, uh, especially as we head into uh, an election cycle in which we'll have, you know, a lot of new governors and, and probably soon after that, uh, a lot of, of, of new uh, CIO transitions. You know, so have, have, have we seen kind of that elevated profile stick around? Uh, yes, uh, I I
1: think that their leadership and their response uh, during certainly two years, two plus years of uh, of the pandemic has uh, given uh, state leaders, uh, state executives, state legislators, and others uh, kind of a different uh, view of the role of the state CIO as as I call it the business leader of of IT. Certainly, they were responsible for a lot of direct. Execution and, and and a high degree of agility and responsiveness. They were they were given almost unreasonable uh, tasks with unreasonable timeframes to deliver, uh, and they were successful in many cases in uh, in doing that. I think the to me the kind of overarching view of the state CI, which has been changing certainly over the last decade, is moving from that what I call infrastructure plumber role, which clearly is a is a part of what they do uh, to much more of that of that strategic business leader. Uh, I always tell people uh, that, you know, the being being a change leader, you know, leading change is a is a huge part of the, the role of a state CIO today. Uh, but also that it is, you know, the part of their whole you know mission now is overcoming the organizational resistance of change, focusing on uh, things like business process innovation and just business process modernization as part of that whole that whole practice so i think that is uh, something uh implicit in the role today is and explaining that to governors and others which we're certainly i will be doing here in the the next uh, couple of months after the election to transition teams is is getting them to understand that uh, this is a different role than they're probably perceiving uh, and you look at our data from our survey, and I think it's every four years, we we ask questions around the role of the state CIO and critical, you know, what are the critical dimensions and critical success factors. And it didn't surprise me uh, in 2022 to see that it's very, very similar. They, they believe that the critical success factors have to do with being a strategist. You know, have to having to be a good communicator and having to manage relationships. Both, you know, you have to build trust with your organizational stakeholders. So that's your relationships with your agencies, but also, you know, with your other state officials, maybe with local officials. So I think uh, these three have been the, in the top three, the last one the in 2020 2018, uh, communicator was number one. Yeah. Strategist was number two. So I think if you look at it, what's surprising to a lot of folks in the top 10, because it's a it's a forced choice
0: uh, ranking is that technologist is number nine but uh, i I'll know i know that e- even though technologist came in number nine pol- uh politics came in dead last yes and so yeah you don't as we, we've always said you know don't
1: don't get don't play politics <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly you don't need to be you need to be a diplomat, you need to be a diplomat and you need to be a, a good communicate communicating the value I think is is one of the challenging roles of the of the state CIO is communicating the overarching value to the mission, as opposed to explaining, you know, you, you know, the necessity the the technology of moving to like a cloud platform. It's really more about how do you how do you help the business? How do you you know strive to meet the missions of, of state government and don't get too wrapped up in the technology platforms.
0: Yeah, and so as as you said, you'll, you'll be having a lot of a lot of you know, there'll be a lot of these conversations in the next few months as as new governors transition in and and figure out their their administrations. But are you are you so? But you're confident that that the heightened that the the, the heightened role of uh, uh, that that CIOs have had that that's something that that won't be uh, uh just a blip. Ben, I'm I'm aspirational, uh, so I'm I
1: trust that. But I will tell you that uh, I will have. Conversations, or, or there will be conversations with uh, the the new governors and any transitions, and many of them will have to be uh, informed and educated uh, because they come in. Uh, I think where uh, they that the perception and the natural view of the role of the CIO as well. They're in charge of the they're the they're in charge of the mainframe. They're in charge of the computers. They're in charge of the networks, and it's I think they come in with a uh, inherent bias around what I call IT as a back office function. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you've known me for a while. That is not something that I'm going to subscribe to. So I, I believe that, uh, that it's critical to, uh, to the delivery of uh, services to the citizens. And it's, it's not a back office function any longer. It may have been in the past, but that's not the role of the state CIO. That's not what we subscribe to. That's not what we preach it's about the business leadership. And uh, so I think that, yes, I I aspire that that's going to be a change. But I will tell you that over the years, I seem to have the same conversations with new administrations uh, who come in with that. We need we need to appoint a new CIO. So we need to find somebody that knows a lot about technology and computers. And so I kind of have to kind of change their mind about what they think is uh, is really important about who they should be appointing to that position. Uh, Doug, thank you. Uh,
0: thank you uh, so much for, for uh, getting on the call today. My pleasure to talk to you as always. That was Doug Robinson, Executive Director of NASIO. You can read more about the, the association's annual member survey at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. I'm Benjamin Freed, and this is State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Next time on the show, we'll hear from NACIO Policy and Research Director Meredith Ward and Deloitte's Sweeney Subramanian about their biennial survey of state chief information security officers, which, like the CIO survey, found serious concerns about the future of state's cybersecurity workforces. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or rating in the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will listen to the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm Benjamin Freed, sitting in for Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.